sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. This is Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. This week, we are going to delve into a sport that we really have not touched on this show yet. We've done basketball and football and gymnastics and all different types of sports and broadcasters and managers and owners and athletes. But this week, we are going to speak about the world of lacrosse, lacrosse in the United States and even lacrosse in the land of Israel. We are joined by Mark Greenberg, four-time All-American at Johns Hopkins University, Hall of Fame in the Maryland Athletics Hall of Fame, and one of the founders of lacrosse in the land of Israel. Mark, it's so good to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, let's talk just about the sport of lacrosse in general and your entry. Being out in Los Angeles, uh, it's not really spoken about so much. You don't necessarily see kids walking down the street with uh, – lacrosse sticks and and helmets but growing up upstate new york uh we were champions during those times of the 80s and the 90s um so take us through lacrosse growing up in uh the baltimore area pikesville maryland and what brought you to that sport as opposed to uh veering towards the soccer field or basketball court well i didn't veer away from basketball and soccer i did play those as well but uh I was fortunate enough to find the sport of lacrosse, which fit me uh, the best as far as my athletic abilities. Uh, when I was younger, I had older cousins and they had a mudroom filled with lacrosse equipment. And that allowed me just to, you know, go in that room when I went to visit and put on the helmets and the gloves and pick up the stick. And just watching them as older cousins, it was uh, pretty special to be able to and be part of their world. And uh, it's just something I knew I wanted to be part of as well. It's interesting. I saw an interview with you when he talked about the development of equipment has led to better players today. <laughs> what was the equipment like back in the 70s? And uh, what does it look like today? Is, is that real? Does equipment make you a better player sometimes? Absolutely. No question. Uh, you know, first of all, the the protection is, is a lot better. I, we went and had many concussions. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of broken uh, fingers uh, from you know, the gloves not protecting us. And, and the sticks, uh, being able to throw right-handed, left-handed uh, with a pocket, uh, what young people can do today with a stick mm-hmm. uh, is phom- phenomenal. And as an athlete, uh, if you just pick up a stick, you could start playing lacrosse pretty quickly. Uh, in the old days, it took some time to really learn the skills of uh, catching and throwing. Isn't there actually a rule how deep the net can be? Is the pocket, correct? yes, yeah. uh, there is rules, but you know they've changed the uh, the stick design to make it uh, more difficult to remove the ball. Uh, oh, wow. which, which, as a defenseman, I, I find that problematic. Uh, <laughs> but as a spectator, it's great for the sport because there's more offense. So you play lacrosse. When is that moment that I like to ask athletes, when is that moment that you realize that you had it, that you could go to the next level, you can get a college scholarship and not just go to any lacrosse school, but Johns Hopkins, which was a perennial contender uh, during those times? Well, it's funny you say that. I, I don't know that I, uh, I had a lot of choices. Uh, I was not recruited to play lacrosse mm. except for at Hopkins. Oh, wow. Be- because I, playing, uh, I was playing basketball in high school uh, in a state playoff and I broke my wrist. So I didn't have the opportunity to play my senior year. So nobody really saw me. 
uh, the coach, one of the assistant coaches at Hopkins had seen me play uh, in a summer league game prior. And that's, they recruited me by the coach coming to see me play basketball. Um, so, so from that standpoint, uh, it's a, it's a little bit unique uh, uh, scenario. So not many people they'll go from basically not being recruited to four-time All-American, not of All-American when you get to a senior. Was that an immediate jump? Was it a surprise to you? Was it a surprise to coaches? How did that work? Well, I, you know, I go back and I ask my friends, when did they see me? Because I don't mm. think as a player you really necessarily see that you've excelled beyond uh, the other people. Uh, and I did ask them, and they said, you know, it was somewhere in junior high, First of all, I was bigger than everybody else, uh, so my size had a lot to do with it. Um, my foot speed and you know my my strength wasn't there at that point. But you know, as you get older and more mature, then your abilities grow a little bit more with you know those things of of hand speed and foot speed. Um, but as a high school player, even though I didn't play my senior year, uh, and I knew I was going to Hopkins and I'd go to a game, I was sitting in the stands and it, not to sound arrogant, but I knew that I could play and I could start for them at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to Hopkins as a freshman, uh, I pretty much felt that uh, right away that I could go ahead and do the things that uh, would get me on the field and start. So let's go backwards to your youth in Maryland and speak about the faith piece. And then later we'll join them together with the Israel piece. Uh, what was your faith journey? Uh, part of a synagogue, part of a, obviously the Baltimore community, very strong even even now. What what did that look like? Uh, you know, I was a I grew up conservative, uh, going to Hebrew school and uh, not enjoying the experience at all. Um, had my bar mitzvah, was uh, went to uh, confirmation, uh, but I think like most young people, um, unless there's something that's pulling you to, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's spiritually or or just socially there. Um, I didn't have any other connection and I sort of fell away from it. Um, and I think, um, I, I don't know, I always practiced at, uh, on the high holidays um, and I was always proud to be uh, Jewish uh, and I would never hide that uh, and I didn't have to. Um, so uh, I, I don't know that I ever had a real, a real meaning or need to have my faith there. It was just more about my religion being there. I thought you'd said something very interesting before when I asked you, when did you realize that you could, you know, be at Hopkins at a high level? And you said, actually, I asked other people to look at me. I think a very Jewish principle that um, to be seen by others is it's not just about us, but actually how do others view you is how you walk through uh, this way of life. And what about the Israel piece? Had you gone to Israel before Hopkins, before the cross? What did that piece look like growing up? So I think that was where my my faith came in and my Judaism, because uh, my parents had asked me for my bar mitzvah uh, if I wanted to have a celebration, a big party, mm-hmm. or a family trip to Israel. Uh, and I made that decision at an early age to go to Israel. So I went when I was 13. Oh, wow. And I uh, it was it was so special to me. I, I will never forget that trip. But matter of fact, the next time I had gone was 27 years later. Oh my God. And I re- remembered everywhere I had gone. Uh, matter of fact, I went for a run. Uh, we landed in, uh, in, um, in the, at the airport. We took the bus to, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, everybody else went for a nap and I went for a run and I went for a run through the streets to find the, place where I got my ice cream cone, the, the, 
the parks that I would hang out at. I just found all the places. I remembered it after 27 years. And so you have this all-American career at Hopkins. There's no NBA. There's no Major League Baseball. What happens next in 1980 when you realize maybe my lacrosse career is done? Well, in in Baltimore uh, and in Long Island, they had uh, club lacrosse. Uh, so we could continue to play. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, be on a team that uh, we won the club championship for the next three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gave me the opportunity to also stay uh, and have a chance to try out for Team USA. So I was on Team Amazing. USA uh, for the 82 World Games and for the 84 World Games uh, that were played, a matter of fact, out in L.A. right before the Olympics. Oh, wow. So uh, I I continued playing and uh, then didn't make the team for the 86 games. um, And I gave up lacrosse until 92, 93, Uh, came out of uh, retirement to play again uh, and uh, tried to try to make the USA team again. Let's go down memory lane. We're going to go on to 1980, Virginia versus Johns Hopkins. Let's take a look at this clip and let's uh, see Mark Greenberg in action. Bob, we certainly can feel the enthusiasm here. We hadn't gotten to the last few stanzas of the Star Spangled Banner before the crowd itself broke into a big roar. They're anxious to see this. Looking now as Virginia breaks the huddle to go after the traditional lineup. Both teams will face each other. The goalies will shake hands, and the game will be underway. Howie Offit facing off for Johns Hopkins, and Steve Krause for Virginia. Offit rakes it back towards his own goal, as he does so often. Greenberg trying to pick it up, loses it inside to Caravana, and Caravana will control. So not many people get to play in a national championship game. Some people achieve their dream of being at a high level of collegiate athletics. Just got off the NCAA tournament and basketball. NBA playoffs are happening. But what is... and, and Obviously, Virginia, Johns Hopkins, Syracuse, maybe Cornell during those times. What is it like playing literally in that moment that we just saw? Again, um, I always was successful playing sports. Uh, and, you know, going to Hopkins, we were, you know, given the the carrot or the opportunity to play in a national championship game and hopefully winning one during our career. Um, my freshman year, we lost to Cornell. Uh, in the national championship game, which happened to be the longest day of lacrosse in my life. I'll never forget that. As a matter of fact, there was a book that was just printed called uh, We Showed Baltimore, uh, and it's about the uh, Cornell teams of the 70s. Uh, and uh, they, again, beat us in 70. Uh, well, we played them again in 78, where we beat them in the national championship. And then went on again to win the national championship my junior year and senior year uh, and having it against Virginia. Um, fortunate enough to play in four, uh, to mm-hmm. be able to win three, uh, you know, it's just the, uh, you know, it's, it's something that nobody else really has ever accomplished. Uh, I think one team, Syracuse, has won three in a row uh, and it hasn't been done since. Um, so... Let's go to your induction into the Maryland State Hall of Fame just a couple of years ago, and you were uh, on this show, and let's talk about that. One of the greatest defensemen in the history of men's lacrosse. He led the Johns Hopkins Blue Jays to three straight national championships from 1978 to 80 and was a four-time All-American to boot. Let's welcome in Mark Greenberg, a Pikesville native. Welcome in. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Good to see you, Mark. Nice to see you. You know, so I've always wanted to ask a question of a Hall of Fame inductee, and that is, 
you spent all those years playing and giving yourself to the game as a player and learning the game. And I just wonder, you know, 30 years later, when you look back at that accomplishment as you go into the Hall of Fame, like what are your thoughts in this time of your life? Well, first of all, it's nice to be remembered at this time of my life about our, my past uh, experiences. But more importantly, I think it's about, uh, especially in the game of lacrosse, what you give back. And it's being able to look throughout the years and see what you've done over those years and how you've impacted people. When you think back to those years, the three consecutive championships under Coach Ciccaroni over there at Johns Hopkins University, what do you remember most about the team? You know, there was, uh, as earlier said, that, um, you know, there, there's an it. There's something special. Uh, and we all had this confidence and this uh, family feel and nobody was bigger than the program so it was all about a team and all we did was we wanted to work hard and we just wanted to win and we came through with at least during my career only four losses so you talked about how you're a great athlete but then when you put great athletes together it doesn't often work out uh let's talk about the lakers of this year or let's not talk about the lakers uh, sitting here in los angeles um when do you realize that you have the it factor with a team, with a family, when everybody realizes that they have a role and the way that they play that role can then lead to greater success? You know, there, there's a, a big thing that people talk about is the, the, the big man on campus. Um, and we had a lot of All-Americans on our team and nobody acted or treated anybody differently. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that's part of it. There's no egos. Uh, everybody just had a goal and our coach wouldn't allow it and our players wouldn't allow it. Uh, it's funny, you know, you, you try, you, your head gets too big. Someone will knock you right off. And mm-hmm. uh, that was always the case. So I don't think anybody came in and when came into Hopkins that way. And if they did, they didn't survive um, because the rest of the team wouldn't put up with it. And generally the coach, when he was recruiting, didn't recruit people who wouldn't fit within that kind of uh, characteristics. And so take that lesson off the court. What does that look like in your life today, in your business, uh, in your successful business life, in your life as a, as a father, as a Jew, as a human being, in terms of checking the ego at the door for a greater success in life? You know, it's funny. I was on a call this morning, and we were talking about, you know, our perspective of life. Uh, and, you know, what experiences have you had and what have you learned from it? And I think I don't need very much, never have needed very much. Uh, there's nothing material that I want or need in my life. Uh, it's more about our health and our families and being together. And whether we're in a you know, one-bedroom apartment, uh, if we're all together, that's important. Uh, and that's really where it comes down to because I'm not a believer that uh, unless they – unless an athlete does something off the field to prove themselves. I don't believe an athlete on the court or on the field of play uh, makes them a good human being. And so therefore you really have to look at the person and what they're doing in the world. And so you said in that interview that lacrosse has given so much to you, but now you, you give back from lacrosse to others. What did that look like first on a local level in the Pikesville, Maryland level? And then let's take that to this national level of, bringing a sport that really didn't exist in the land of Israel to, uh, to prominence where kids can take that stick and find success? Well, first, you know, about giving back in Baltimore, I, uh, being part of Hopkins, uh, I was instrumental in uh, a group of people that brought 
some Torahs, uh, purchased them and brought them to the Hopkins Hillel wow. uh, because there was a new building being built there. And, you know, that was a, a really special connection to be able to have a Torah uh, dedicated for at Hopkins for Hopkins and Jewish lacrosse players who came there. Um, but not only that, uh, many years later, uh, my daughter, who is a rabbi, mm-hmm. um, was running services at Hopkins. For oh, no way. Wow. And she's using the Torahs that I had dedicated there. That's amazing. Uh, so, shout out to Rabbi Ariel Greenberg-Platt. I believe Beth Israel in Maryland right now. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, take us through that piece of the faith journey, how you grew up with the religious school and maybe a little more active on the um, lacrosse field than in the uh, synagogue. What was the inspiration then to give your daughter and your family this education that says, wow, one day my daughter's going to be a leader within the Jewish community? I don't think any of us saw her uh, getting to that place um, because she grew up in the same household, that type of household that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we started going to Friday night services, and I think that was meaningful to her. Um, But I think her journey was a completely different journey because, you know, she had a calling uh, and that came about later in her life in, at the end of college. Um, so I, I think we still set the groundworks and the foundation through our family life and, and through our values and the characters that we, characteristics that we have uh, that we pass along to our children. But I believe that I read it was a public speaking gig at the Hall of Fame when I think uh, Ariel was, uh, what, 11 years old or something that said, I want to stand up and speak. Yep. Uh, so it was, I was getting inducted into the uh, lacrosse, the National Hall of Fame, and um, she was 12 years old, and she said to me that morning, she said that she wanted to be able to say something at the induction, and I said, I don't think you can. It's a pre-planned program. I had to already give our speaker list out, and um, she would not let go, and so <laughs> we got to the event, and I talked to the uh, the the people who are running the event, and they said, as long as somebody else is cutting their time down, that's fine. And, you know, here she is, a 12-year-old who gets up in front of a thousand people with her speech uh, and, uh, you know, says what she has to say. So pretty amazing that a, had, that a young uh, person at that point wants to get up in front of so many people to say it, their words. It had high holiday sermon written all over it. It sure <laughs> did, yes. So now take us to this Israel piece where you go beyond Baltimore and you say, I'm going to take the sport to Israel. Was it somebody that came to you? Was it you that went to Israel? I read something about birthright, that there was an athlete that came to you and then you sort of put this together. Who who are the Israeli lacrosse? So um, it was not my idea, although always I think every Jewish athlete uh, and lacrosse player had always thought I would love to take lacrosse but nobody had the ability, the time, the money, the effort to do it. And a young man who had gone on birthright, who was not a lacrosse player, but loved the game of lacrosse, I went on birthright and he said, I'm going to do this. Uh, And he called up another, a former uh, lacrosse player who played on the USA team with me, Bill Barroza, and asked Bill to be the head coach of the Israeli national team. And Bill asked him very simply, who is the world <laughs> team of the, you know, on the Israeli team? He said, there is none, but I want you to create it. Nice. So Bill calls me up and asks me if I would be his assistant coach in charge of defense. And I said to him, 
you know, Bill, you got to fill in a little bit more of the blanks here. I don't know if I would do it or not. Um, why don't you find out some more and then get back to me? And he called me back in a month and he says, I don't have any more to tell you. But I had already talked to my wife and I said, you know, this young man came to Bill. Bill came to me. I said, this fits everything that I ever would want to do. It, it touches my faith. It touches my family. It touches my love for Israel. And it touches my love for lacrosse. And I said, you know, if you can wrap up all of your passions, this is all of them there. And so I said, I'm in. Uh, and we started from there. And so what did that look like? I know I've spoken with Peter Kurtz on the Israeli baseball team, and he basically went through minor league and major league rosters. Is there a Goldberg? Is there a Greenberg? Who's Jewish? With the law of return, people could make Aliyah. Is, are those the steps that you had to do with lacrosse, or was it a little easier or more challenging? Uh, it was a little bit different. Um, what we did was we went to people who were already in Israel, who were either in school or working there, who had some lacrosse experience. Uh, so we reached out to them, uh, men and women, and we started a league there. Uh, I didn't, but uh, you know, one of the people moved over, the young man, Scott Neese. Uh, and uh, we had our first game with these players uh, on the craft field in Jerusalem. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, it was, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I think the, the first game was uh 12 to 11, uh, and uh, Howie Borkin, one of the other founders, uh, was one of the coaches, and Bill Barroza was the other coach. I was not there, and that was the first uh, game that was played in Israel. Uh, what year was that? That? Uh, that was in 2011. Oh, wow, so pretty new. Uh, and then from there, uh, we picked a team, uh, and we started finding athletes who were willing to, lacrosse players who were willing to move to Israel, uh, commit their time. Uh, but we, our, our philosophy has never been about uh, trying to make a, a lacrosse team from Americans and moving them to Israel. Mm -hmm. It's about trying to teach the sport of Israel and grow the sport of Israel to the homegrown kids of the Sabres. And we've done that. Uh, and it's changed lives as, as lacrosse has changed lives in this country as well, working with the underprivileged uh, and uh, the people who need it the most uh, need leadership, need guidance, need mentoring, uh, and helps them get out of poverty, uh, helps them feel part of a bigger picture. Uh, and we did that. We've done that in, in the United States, and we did this in Israel as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, and not only they find a love for it, um, because lacrosse is really a special, special sport, um, but the people who did make Aliyah uh, and moved from the States to Israel um, played, uh, they land up going into the army. Um, mm -hmm. One of our players uh, was in the uh, infantry. Another one went into the uh, paratroopers. Uh, and they aren't required to go to those extremes, but these guys wanted to do that. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure that I felt for their safety going down those routes Mm -hmm. um, but it was their passion. And, um, you know, I'm glad that uh, everybody came out safe. So today, what does lacrosse look like on the local level in Israel? What cities are sort of booming with, you know, kids taking a, a stick and helmet to the field? And then what does it look like on the world stage? Where is Israel's team within these countries? So we have uh, probably 12 cities 
uh, and we're not in the big cities. We try to work with the underserved uh, communities. Uh, the first city we started in was Ashkelon. Uh, it happens to be Baltimore's sister city. Oh, nice. So it made a lot of sense. Um, and uh, we have our national training center in Ashkelon as well. Um, but we have teams in Herzliya, uh, Haifa, uh, Beersheba, um, uh, Ashdod. Uh, so they're, they're throughout the country. Uh, and we work with the youth uh, in the, you know, we, we try to start them off in the elementary schools. Uh, putting sticks in their hands, doing clinics. Uh, and we go around traveling and working with these kids for after school programs. Uh, and we have a league that plays uh, throughout the year uh, and they travel as groups and we have sort of festival tournaments that they play in um, before Shabbos uh, and then, uh, you know, in the parks uh, of their cities. Uh, and it's, it's just really special. And what about the world stage? Where do you see that going? And um, can can that increase? So when we hosted, the, so Israel hosted the world uh, championships in 2018. Um, and that was because the uh, England who was going to be hosting it withdrew and somebody had to pick up the ball. And the United States was ready to do it. And we said, this was a great opportunity right. to give the opportunity. And it wasn't so much about, that we had the best team, you know, in the Middle East or in Europe at that point. It was just about having an opportunity that we wanted to host. Uh, and there was a big commitment and we had to put it together in probably less than two years, uh, which most teams have over four years to do this. Uh, so we had to raise money. We had to put everything into, uh, into motion. And we were able to bring 46 countries together hmm. uh, in Israel. Um, uh, Quick story is uh, opening uh, ceremonies uh, in the, and we had the games in the Tanya uh, opening ceremonies in the stadium. And uh, after the, the first game, which was, I think earlier in the day was U S against Canada. Uh, we team Israel was playing uh, the team from um, Jamaica and Israel was not looking very good. And, I was a little upset in the first quarter, very upset because they were losing. Uh, and, and then I realized I didn't really care how they were doing on the field. I looked at the stadium and I saw 46 countries in Israel experiencing the love and the beauty and the culture there. And I realized that our goals were being accomplished right then and there. It didn't matter what the outcome of the games were. So it was pretty special for me at that point to have that revelation, uh, which I always knew, but it really hit home at that point. Absolutely. And tell us about the connection with Frank Kelly, who I believe is part of FCA, the Federation of Christian Athletes, who I believe heard what you were doing in Israel and wanted to replicate that in different parts of the world. Who's Frank and uh, how did his faith in sports connect with what you were doing on that side of the field? So I met Frank back when I came out of retirement. Uh, to try out for the USA team again, I had to play for a club team. And Frank and his brother, two of his brothers, uh, were on that team. It was Maryland Cross Club. And we met for the first time there. And um, we landed up winning the club championship. And we, uh, we were playing in a North American championship up in uh, British Columbia. Uh, I'm going to tell you that I wasn't paying attention to the calendar, uh, but it was the holidays. And um, 
I realized I should be in shul. And so I called up a synagogue uh, in, um, in Victoria uh, Island and um, they had a spot for me and Frank was with me and Frank is, you know, has a lot of faith uh, in his religion. And he asked if he could come along and I'm saying, you know, usually the synagogues are packed and there's not going to be room. He says, I'll, I'll stand in the back. I don't care. So wow. Frank and I sat at the high holiday services up in um, Victoria Island uh, and he was reading his Bible as we were going through our services and we've remained friends. And uh, to this point, the, the, they have a great family and they just want to do the best that they can for trying to help uh, at risk youth and people who need direction, mentoring and focus. And so where did he bring lacrosse in the world? So he's he's taken it to, uh, I think, countries in uh, Africa. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, he was... You know, he went and played at Cornell uh, and Richie Morand, uh, who just passed away this past week, um, used to have a big connection, started uh, Ireland lacrosse as well. Mm. And so we learned and Richie was very meaningful in helping us start our program to tell us, you know, the pitfalls. And uh, we shared that with Frank as well. And so uh, last question, just about lacrosse in this country, in America and NCAA, when you scroll through the top 25, it looks a little different than 79 and 80. I didn't see, for instance, Hopkins in the top 25. I don't see Syracuse in the top 25. The the wealth of athleticism is spreading with this idea of you can sort of transfer wherever you want. There's not such loyalty to the universities with the NIL. These kids are now making a lot of money actually going to college and playing the sport. Um, what do you see as a trajectory with college lacrosse uh, right now? I think it always goes in cycles uh, and it will go continue to go in cycles as more and more players are picking up the game um, because it's just a great game, both from the standpoint of being an athlete and running and being in shape, but the camaraderie, uh, you know, I still get together with my teammates every year for reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this summer we'll be getting 30 of us together, oh, wow. um, which is pretty special uh, to have that opportunity. And you don't find that in a lot of sports. And there's it's a fraternity, not just from our team, but through through all the teams. And I could get together with players from you know our greatest competition, which was Maryland and Cornell and Virginia. And we all are sharing the same times mm-hmm. and just having a great time reminiscing because we all have the same. Um, same love for the sport and what it does for people. We are thrilled to be joined by Mark Greenberg, four-time NCAA All-American at Johns Hopkins National Lacrosse Hall of Fame, founder of the Sport of Lacrosse in the Land of Israel. Mark, it's so great to have you. We uh, look forward to continuing and watching and observing and participating in the journey of bringing lacrosse to the Land of Israel and hopefully uh, those uh, young kids in religious school right now will be uh, holding lacrosse stick and one day making the world championships in the state of Israel. Mark, thanks for joining us on the show this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate Have it. Have a good day. Yeah.